This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to Baseball Outside the Box. And guess what? We are back again. Back from where? Back from Europe. We've been there on a 10-day trip. I want to thank everybody in Slovenia, Slovakia, um, Austria, Croatia. We were in Slovenia for the WBSC Europe uh, Congress with all the top people in baseball in Europe, all the presidents of the federations, great people, met a lot of new people, but also met a lot of great friends we haven't seen in a couple of years. So again, thank you to WBSC Europe and, and congratulations, Kruno Karen, our good friend from Croatia, vice president of Croatian baseball, also now the president of the WBSC Europe. Congratulations to Kruno um, winning that election. And don't forget, uh, now we were in those areas. I want to thank Slovenia and Slovakia. Also, we did a lot of coaching programs, worked with kids there. Outstanding people, outstanding coaches, want to learn, um, just great people. Also learned a lot from them and the players. Boy, excited about having, you know, coaches there working with them. There's a lot of talent in Eastern Europe, folks. So uh, don't forget, you know, there is, uh, there's players that can play in college baseball, professional. Check it out. If you're in Eastern Europe, great baseball and speaking about Eastern Europe, uh, just want to give some prayers out to our friends in Ukraine. I don't think it's a tough right now, um, not just Ukraine, but you've got Russian people who have family in Ukraine. Um, and there's a lot of tough things going on. Prayers for everybody. Prayers that everything ends soon um, so we can get back to normal. Um, you know, life is short. And uh, one thing we need to do is just make sure everybody is enjoying life and is prosperous and having, a, you know, a great life. So let's uh, pray for our friends in Ukraine. ESPN Honolulu, thank you so much um, for covering our podcast. And again, obviously, thank you everybody in the U.S. and around the world. You guys are fantastic. Don't forget, Caliendo Sports International heading to Italy, baseball and softball also heading to Aruba. We're still looking for a few good players, 14 to 17 years old for those trips. Uh, Just email me at caliendosports19 at gmail. Hey, listen, we're back. And guess what we're going to be talking about? We are going to be talking about the state of the game, especially in the USA at the grassroots level. Where is the game heading? Um, And let me tell you, I've got a great friend of mine. I consider him one of the greatest minds in the game of baseball when it comes to developing young players, parents, coaches, uh, talking about that three-pronged system that we always talk about, so important. Um, You know, I'm I'm not going to give you all his background, but just to give you an idea, he is at Wilkinson Sports Life and Performance Company, Pete Wilkinson, played at the University of Southern Cal, he was a roommate with Tom House, he he was a high school coach, Washington and California with some top ranked high school programs, ABCA Collegiate Baseball News, Tom House Teaching Professional of the Year Award, that tells it all right there, spoke at the ABCA, hey, he also um, consulted with the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was the Soviet Union in baseball and softball. And if you know about the Soviet Union back then, they were really progressing in the game of baseball because of the development. And uh, not to mention, he's, we, him and I worked together a great deal with BC Minor Baseball. Um, BC Minor in Vancouver, Canada, a top, top organization with over 20,000 kids. 
Uh, Pete and I worked there with their coaches and also their caravan. Um, maybe we might even talk about that a little bit. So without wasting time, that was a lot to swallow just back from Europe. Want to let you know a little bit about what's been going on. Let me welcome my good friend, Pete Wilkinson. What's up, buddy? Hey, everything's been going pretty well here in Texas. We're having some fun. Yeah, well, Texas got the weather and I guess got some talent. And uh, when you put those two together, you got uh, maybe some pretty good baseball. If you got good coaches, and that's what we're going to talk about, coaching parents and kids. Absolutely. It's, it's been fun. Like, uh, the last two days at the University of Texas were uh, pretty cold. Never got over about 45 degrees. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty interesting. And the wind was blowing in at big ballpark they play in. So a lot of good pitching and defense. And you know what, Texas, uh, you know, I know the weather sometimes can get rough, but hey, uh, I want to remind you, I'm in Chicago. So we're, uh, you know, we've been at about 20 degrees here. So that's about a 65 degree change. I, I promise not to complain. <laughs> and folks, if I'm speaking fast, I'm excited about being back in the show. Plus I had my Italian espresso, which uh, that gets you rocking and rolling, as you know. So sometimes you got to have that um, during these times, you know, pep yourself up a little bit. Um, coffee's good for you. From what I understand, and AP, not to get into coffee, but I, I think it's got uh, some good stuff coffee. It does help you a little bit, doesn't it? Once in a while, as long as you don't overdo it. I get one of those every day. <laughs> I'm not know. allowed to have more. <laughs> hey, speaking about, you know what, before we start speaking about that, I do want to mention, uh, Pete, something I always put on the show all the time. I just want to remind the folks, because I think it's important. We all follow this, you know, continue to take care of yourselves. I think it's so important nowadays, especially, you know, to drink a lot of water, to exercise, take vitamins, you know, do, uh, get plenty of sleep. I mean, we're talking about, we're going to talk about athletes and, and parents and coaches, but in reference overall, your health is so important because it affects your mind. Doesn't it Pete? Absolutely. It affects mind. It, it affects physicality. It, it affects everything and it has a lasting effect and on athletes things, particularly. And people like me. Well, and people like me too, guys. I'm I'm in 60, but one thing I do every day is exercise. I take I drink a lot of water. I take my medicine. You know, I take my vitamins. I try to get the nine hours sleep. You know, somewhere between that eight nine hours sleep. I don't have all the answers. I do some things you probably shouldn't do either. But a lot of times I do make sure that health is number one on my list because without that you're not around. If you're not around, then you're not going to be enjoying life. Hey Pete, let's jump into the state of baseball in the U.S. Um, I want to get your take because, you know, you've got to, I mean, you've got experience at all levels, at the grassroots levels, the high school level, the collegiate, the professional, but we're going to focus on, you know, the grassroots, especially, um, you know, and you talk a lot about parents, coaches, and players being on the same page, but give us first a perspective of um, some you know, positive things, maybe that the game is heading in a good direction. And that's some things we really need to work on at the grassroots level. I think the positive things are, are that uh, there's, there are phenomenal people in the game. I, I don't want to underestimate that. We're going to talk about uh, some of the challenges we face, but there are really phenomenal people in the game. Some doing instruction, some coaching teams, whether that be high school uh, select or recreational stuff. Um, and um I've been fortunate enough uh, to run into phenomenal parents for the long, long time I've been doing this. Uh, so from that standpoint, I think that there's some really great things going on. I think the things that you're doing internationally are, are fantastic. The things you do uh, that we've done running around with Mike Kelly in Canada 
uh, have been uh, not only interesting for us, uh, but I think really beneficial for their grassroots programs up there. So I, I think from a grassroots standpoint, there's more and more effort to try to get more and more people in the game. So that's the really good thing. The three challenges are that what parents want for their kids and uh, what coaches want for their programs um, and, and what kids want uh, tend sometimes to be different. And I think um, we tend to be more adversarial uh, among us than, than perhaps we once were. Um, and with social media, it's much easier to do that because information's everywhere. Some of it's really good and some of it's not so hot. Uh, and and uh, um, we still need to get kids who don't have resources involved in the game much more than we're doing it uh, compared to the kids who have resources. Because it, at the select levels, if you want to call it select, um, you, you better be able to pay for it. And there's, there's not enough aid for people who can't pay for it. And they get shut out of the game way too early, in my opinion. You know what? I love the part that you talked about, the three things, where the three people. I want to hit those individually. Before I do, hey, folks, I want to mention to you, BC baseball, BC minor baseball in Vancouver, Canada, March 4th, 5th, and 6th, virtual baseball convention, 20 speakers, um, some great, great speakers. We're talking about pulmonary LSU, you know, Reggie Smith with the Dodgers. Um, you got Jerry Weinstein, you know, who's a Colorado Rockies coach, one of the top college coaches in the country, Pat Bailey, OSU. Um, and we just go down the list. Take a look at it. Google BC Minor Baseball. Join the conference. It's going to be outstanding. Lots of learning. Hey, Pete, you mentioned, uh, okay, let's take one individual because you said, you know, everybody has their own kind of intention. So let's take the parent first, right? Um, what, what, what's their goal? Because sometimes it doesn't match the players, as you said, nor that it may not even match the coaches. Yeah, and I, I think parents fall into a couple of categories, but but the most often category is that they, they want to support their kids and their kids' dreams, but what they really want out of it are, are life and, and, and leadership skills that, that ultimately they want their kid to be a better, a better adult as a result of baseball. I think that most of them understand that uh, the, the major leagues is small and it's not going to get a heck of a lot bigger. Um, but they, they want mentoring, they want coaching, they, they want instruction, and they want those things, and they hope they get those. But what they really want are role models. And, uh, and I think from that standpoint, they're looking for life skills, they're looking for the kids to learn about resilience, and there's no game as good as baseball uh, with regard to teaching you resilience. Um, and, and they want human relations. They want good experience between kids and coaches and kids and other kids. And they don't always do a lot to promote that. Uh, but it's what they want, ultimately. You know, you mentioned uh, the parents we're talking about here, folks, you know, and again, parents well-intended. They're, you know, obviously it's their kids. They want to do the best for them. But sometimes don't they get blinded by certain things like scholarships? You know, you mentioned MLB. They may think that you can't make, you know, the odds of making MLB are tough, but it, they seem to be blinded by some of this stuff where it's like, that seems to be their goal a lot of times, even though they, they want these other things, but man, the ultimate goal is get that scholarship. And what's the reality there a lot of times uh, when you, you know talking about baseball scholarships? Uh, well, the reality is there aren't many. And, and for most people, there aren't any. Um, it, it really comes down to that. And then sometimes we coaches and, and leaders of programs are our own worst enemy 
because we compete with each other often on the basis of who's the best instructor or who has the most kids going to college or who has the, the most things that the kids want. And, and we go push that when the fact is that not one of us can guarantee for any family that that's going to happen. You know, the other part I'm looking at this because, you know, as you know, I take teams around the world for competition. Folks, very expensive. You know, it's not cheap to travel around the world for or travel a country for 10 days. It's a cultural sports experience. There's a lot, there's a lot that the player and parents get out of it, but I get it. It's expensive. So you have to prioritize. You know, I don't always say, hey, take these trips. There might be other ways to spend that money a lot more wisely than, than taking an international trip. I get that. Um, but I get this, Pete, a lot. Oh, man, I, I mean, kids are doing four or five showcases. You know, uh, it's going to give them exposure. I get the exposure. We've been in game a long time. I understand. But, you know, if a kid's pretty good, somebody's going to find out about them. Ultimately, that's true. Ultimately, that's true. Um, there's some biases about that among coaches, uh, college coaches. Uh, and there are also some biases among select coaches and there and I think their biases among parents and differentiation of, with parents if, if you have a kid who's been really successful early it may be because he was larger than everyone else um, and more athletic early than other people and there wasn't a realization that people catch up um, and so it becomes about scholarship it becomes about I've got to showcase my kid it's got to it's be, it's become a, a thing like that uh, I coach a young actually two young young men who were at the university of texas and neither one of them did national showcases um they went to local ones and went to college camps and i i recommend to all families that find the colleges you're really interested in where your kid will be stretched academically and athletically uh, but it doesn't have to be uh, at the number one ranked team in the country and then the four ranked just below them it needs to be something that seems reasonable for the for the individual kid and Go check out the campuses. Go to the camps that have those coaches there. Find out and target shoot what you'd really like to do. And the chances and the odds get much more much more realistic. Hey, Pete, how does a parent and player, we're talking about both of them now, how do they determine, I mean, since we're on this, I want to kind of help out the parents here. Um, I know my parents coming from Europe, you know, I mean, they didn't know anything about baseball, but um, how do they select the college? You know, how do they know? Because you know, everybody wants to play, as you said, at the highest level, but, you know, there's co good college programs everywhere. How do I know as a player where I fit um, into a particular program if I'm going to try to go to that college? I think that what you mentioned, the um, going to the camps, I think that helps, obviously, because then if the college coach sees them, you know, that, that and, and they like them, they can let them know that. But what other ways that parents can understand where their kids can play? Uh, in a lot of ways, I'm analytics. I'm an analytics nightmare in, in terms of I think there's a limit to what analytics can do for us. I think eyeballs are good, but there's some standards that the game has. The game requires you to be able to be on time and on time in the strike zone means you better have some bat speed or you have to start swinging before the pitcher lands. And if you have to do that, you're, you're not going to be a, you're not going to be a baseball player at the college level. If you can do it for some, but not for others and velocity gets you, then you've got a problem at the division one level. Um, and for the, for the professional hitter, it's about one and a half tenths of a second to get the bat head from up here to down to where the ball is. That's a tenth isn't very much. And he's got to recognize if that's to happen, he's got to recognize he's got two tenths to recognize and get his foot down and get after it. The longer it takes to get 
from foot down to bat in a strike zone, the more trouble you're in. And so it's about velocity can kill you, but two pitches can kill you too. If you can't see well enough or recognize well enough to react, those things are pretty measurable and they're definitely visible. Eye test tells you, I, I don't, I'm going to go after spin rate a little bit. I don't need a spin rate to tell me if the hitter can hit this pitcher. Uh, a hitter's reaction will tell you more about what happens than spin rate. And if you can get eight hitters in the lineup or six hitters in the lineup to absolutely stumble on the breaking ball, you've got enough spin rate. Now there's some spin rates that are great, but you show the ball early and hitters, good hitters have a chance, but which level you fit at is we're trying to teach to a standard with our kids. They're going to play college baseball somewhere. We've been very fortunate in that regard. And so what we're trying to do is get people to play defense in the infield and defense in the outfield so that they can cut doubles off in the outfield and get the ball to second base and keep runners who can run from first and with an average in college of about 4.2 on the right side to get to first home to first base on a ground ball. We're trying, and the, the fastest lefties getting there in three, six or so, we're trying to set standard of a normal play for us is at the high school level is 3.6. Shortstop goes in the hole for a three bouncer. We still want that ball over there in 3.6. And he, that means he's got to take sharper angles and do that. But the stopwatch will tell us whether he's capable of playing Texas against Arkansas or Trinity against Chapman or smaller college in, in a smaller place uh, with a little less uh, accomplished roster. And he can still have a wonderful time doing what he's doing at any of those levels because none of them is high school extended we tell we tell our kids very simply that the difference between your senior end of your senior year in high school and the beginning of your college career is double the difference as the growth you've had from your freshman year in high school to your senior year in high school yeah That's so we, what what we're saying here folks i guess is you know your skills your analytics um basically what you're performing is going to dictate where you're going to be able to play. Um, but now how does a parent and a player know that? I mean, you know, the, you got to have coaches that help you out in that perspective. Um, does it help to go out to watch some of these uh, games that they're playing to determine, can I really play there? Um, That's the single biggest thing that I see. Kids don't watch baseball. Um, and who knows why, uh, if they have a real goal to play it, they need to see what the best people are doing. And then they need to see what the second best people are doing. And the best people are in the big leagues. Uh, Division one college is a good thing to watch. They make it look easier than it is, uh, but at least you get an idea. And then if you go to a high school game, uh, you get to see what it looks like there and you know what it looks like from your perspective and they don't look alike. And then division three and division two um, are, are places that NAIA JCs um, are places that are going to be they're going to fluctuate based on which school you look at. So the, the more baseball that they can see and the more they can play, the more they're going to know what they can't do. But until they have some recognition of it, and as long as we coaches tell them the truth, then they're probably going to be okay. But it, it's they should stretch until they can't. And the other thing I will tell, you, tell them is that the absolute silence on the part of, of colleges at particular levels in responding to them um, and in seeing them and not getting a hold of them, that kind of thing, that'll tell them. 
And I know is a good answer because it allows you to go look where you can. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, the other part of this is the education part. I mean, you want to pick a college as far as, you know, the place you want, you can play, you can compete really well at that level. Uh, but at the same time, you can't depend on it. So you want to make sure that it fits your educational part of your, your future. Anyone who goes to college specifically for athletics and not the educational side is nuts. Um, the lifetime they're looking at income in short term and making a million dollars and going to college. And you've heard now about the amount of money college students are making. Yeah. Well, there are 10 of them. <laughs> Everybody else is still broke. Um, the, the lifetime income from getting a college degree is significantly more than most big leaguers will make in a lifetime who don't go to college. Yeah. That's, that tells them start sure. their own companies. Yeah, that's all, that tells it right there. And then as we know, I know parents, you know, um, there's a lot of educational scholarships out there, way more than there are baseball scholarships. So education is so important. Um, you know, on top of it, Pete, the other the other part of this, you know, and, and I know parents are well intended, um, but again, you know, sometimes their goals are for their kids. Talk about a lot of the kids that you work with. What are their goals that you hear from them, what they really want to do? I mean, they love the game. Um, but what uh, are they just, is their goal MLB college, you know, are they short-term goals? What are they? Uh, both not, well, they're all of those. Um, there's the, there's the athlete who really wants to play. Let's say we're in Texas in the big 12. Uh, when I was, when I was in the West coast, there were a lot of people who wanted to play um, in the pac 12 or pac 10 back then. Um there are people who want to go get a good education. I had a kid pitch at MIT. Well, he was good enough to get into MIT to start with. He wanted to be uh, get involved in, in computers and, uh, frankly, nuclear physics. And that, that meant he wanted to go to a place like that. And he wanted to play baseball. And baseball was a part of his deal. Um, and he wanted to be able to do it. But he was going to go to school for school. Uh, and then there's everything in between that. And there's some people who want to make, I want to be all league in high school. And then I want to see um, one, how much I love, these are the smart guys, um, how much I love it. And if I still love it, I want to play and I want to do my best to be able to play. But if it doesn't work out, I'm, I'm going to work for a living at some point. I'm not going to play the game forever. And then you know, I get all of that. And most and of the hope players that we hope that the dad's activity and, and, and energy match up. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, a lot of the players that you run into all, all levels, um, what's the separator? Because, you know, you know, we, we all have skills in some ways and we're all trying to improve our skills, but what's the separator of the ones that progress to the, that, that actually reach their goals and whether that goes high school, baseball, college or pro, but they reach it because, you know, they have, there's something different about them. What, what's the separator? I know you work on this a lot. Yeah, and as, as much as we all like velocity, I'll start with pitching. As much as we all love velocity, um, the, the Friday night guy at Texas is 87, 88 miles an hour left-handed and has exceptional secondary stuff. He gets people out better than lots of other people get people out. So getting people out is still the thing you have to do. You can throw a hundred and everybody's in it off a fence. You're not going to pitch a lot. Um, now, given that you throw a hundred, not that many people will hit it off a fence, but there are a bunch who can. Um, and especially at that level, 
in terms of defense, you have to be able to get to the ball and throw it and do it comfortably and do it repeatedly um, under four seconds, way under four seconds. Uh, if you're an outfielder, you've got to be able to cover the ground in the outfield that you're in. And there are three of you to do that, but you've got your responsibilities. And so your ability to be athletic run. And then for any position player, if you can't hit, uh, the hitter is going to play. If, if he can field, he'll play. He doesn't have to be as good as you in the field to play. And so swinging a bat, uh, it's not all about power. It's still about the game is becoming more and more finally again about moving runners, playing baseball and that kind of stuff. Uh, because even the major leagues are finding that the run scoring goes down when all you're doing is trying to lift the baseball. Hey Pete, the other part of all this, you know, I'm thinking um, this is something I struggled with and one, I didn't have much talent, but two, I didn't have this part either. I know you work on this a great deal, you know, and, and coaches have brought it up before that, you know, no matter what the game of baseball is a game of failure. I know that's looking at the negative, but unfortunately, there's a lot of failure that goes on, especially at the grassroots level. The mental part of this, I know we're getting better at it, but I, I mean, we're focusing so much on the mechanical part, the development area, and I get that part. But what about the mental part? That's critical. I mean, as far as advancing to even higher levels, isn't it? It's the ultimate separator. And it separates really quickly. Uh, I've never been a fan. I'm... I believe in mentality and emotional management and all of that stuff being huge in the game, but it's not a sep it's not separate from the physicality part of it. Your brain after all is a physiological ornament. It's, it's, it's everything. And it's going to direct traffic and do that kind of thing. But together what happens is you must have faith. You must have belief in a game where you're going to fail most of the time and you must have resilience and you must have, at some point, you've got to be a great teammate. You can't have teams that win if everybody's out for number one. Uh, so the ability to be a teammate, the ability to think under pressure, the ball dictates and changes what has to happen next. And you have to be able to respond to that. And frankly, if you can't anticipate it, it's really hard to play at the higher levels. So mentality ultimately is the killer for good athletes. You know, and how's that trained? I mean, because, you know, we want to talk about it, you know, and, uh, you know, fundamentals, we train every day for it. You know, even in, during the season, we're, we're stressing, you know, hey, keep your fundamentals, you know, going. But the mental part, isn't it? Shouldn't we be training in, in practice all the time for this um, and how to deal with that failure? Because the failure could come not only in your own skills, during a game, but it could come with umpires making bad calls, which is going to happen. It's part of the game. Can you deal with that? So how, how's the training aspect of the mental part of the game? Is that a daily thing? I think it is a daily thing. And I think that here's where all, all, all the groups, parents and coaches make a mistake. Then I've, I've been, especially as a young coach, one of those people, we tend to control too much. Once the game starts, I mean, we're, we're doing things and the people I really respect are doing things with um, a watch now where the players never have to talk to each other. Um, I watched that the other night, in fact, with a team that does that. Um, and they called a pitch and everybody looked at the watch and the pitcher crossed up the catcher and it hit him in the mask and a winning run scored from third. <laughs> and 
Um, so I watched the team lose a game partly because people weren't communicating well enough. Uh, they leave it up to everybody to know. I happen not to like the practice. I also think the catcher still gets a better look at what's going on in the game than the coaches do, no matter how good they are. And there are some great ones out there who call the game. Um, but the, if the catcher gets a better look and we teach him, he'll make a better, he'll make better decisions for the pitcher we have on the mound in the moment uh, than I think the coaches do. And I, I, I gave it to our kids long, long, long time ago. Uh, and I found they've grown and they get to catch in college. You know, that's, you know, we've had discussions, you and I, because we travel a lot together, especially in the BC minor, you know, caravan and a coaches conference and all that. And, um, and I'm glad you brought that up, but I'll tell you why, because, you know, you and I have talked and I, I'm like you, I, you know, for years, I've been a big believer and I've implemented it with young kids. I've always thought young kids should be making decisions a lot more. And that's a lot more fun when you can make decisions. I don't care if you're 10 years old, 11, 12, you know, the sooner they can start making decisions on their own, the more they're going to enjoy the game. And I'll give you, I'm going to give you two quick examples. Um, one, our international trips that go, a lot of parents will say, matter of fact, last night we had a meeting uh, on Zoom and, and one of the comments or questions was, well, do they practice before they go? I said, well, no, it's going to cost more to practice, right? You got to add more cost on the trip. It's already expensive. But here's the beauty of it. Now the kid has to go to another country. He doesn't know the other players he's going to play with. And guess what? Something, I'm a, I'm a very extremely introvert person. Um, I know I don't seem like it sometimes on Zoom but I'm a very introvert person. So it, I have to come out and talk to people. So that forces me to communicate with the other players, right? The coaches, um, the same instance, I was in Tenerife, Spain. I want to give a shout out to David Mergens and Jan Postapol, two of my players from Czech Republic, outstanding players. David's going to be playing in Milan, Italy. And I know Jan's trying to play in the States, uh, both quality players. Uh, I, when I got these players in uh, Tenerife, they were from all over Europe. You know, first thing I told them when we started playing games, I said, you got to play the game on your own. I don't know you. You know, enjoy the game, play it on your own, communicate, talk to each other, think ahead, you know, think about what the situation may be. You're going to make mistakes. No problem. We'll talk about those mistakes. My concern wasn't with, it was a tournament. It wasn't with winning a tournament. It was with educating young people, understanding something that I never knew how to do. And that is play the game on your own. Think make decisions. The rest will take care of itself. Talk about that. I know I went on a little longer than I wanted to. We're always being supervised if we're kids now. Uh, they don't play uh, in the sand lots and they can't get on them mostly because they're locked. The schoolyards are locked. Insurance reasons and we've got all kinds of excuses for that. Um, so they don't get to play alone. They don't get to settle their own beefs. They don't, have, they don't get to deal with each other. They're always dealing through a coach um, and we coach them. And the more we coach them, um, the less anticipation they're going to have on the field, the less communication they're going to have on the field. And that's ca catastrophe in baseball. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I started at uh, when I was 15, Mickey on baseball school as a, as a counselor, excuse me, as a student and a counselor, then a coach at a young age. And yes, I had an advantage because at Mickey on baseball school, kids would come in for two weeks. We didn't know who the kids were, you know, they're playing, they're practicing with us for two weeks, but they're, also playing games right away when they arrive because we're playing teams from other areas every night. And I think that's something that we learned early on how to deal with young people and trying to get them to play the game because we were forced to do that, right? We, we didn't know the players to say, hey, you got to play the game on your own. And I remember taking notes during the game, not saying much, but just taking notes. And then later on, we would have some parent meetings and parents would say, well, how come you didn't teach anything during the game? 
Well, because I wanted to see what they could do on their own. I want them to fail on their own. I mean, Michael Jordan said the reason he was one of the most successful basketball players in the world is because he failed so many times when he was young that he got that much better at it. So I think we had an advantage, but nowadays, and this is the question, nowadays I'm seeing a lot of coaches at the grassroots level handle games and, and control games because of one reason. That's we want to win at 10 years old. We want to win 11 years old. It's a tournament. Boy, if we don't win, you know, we're not going to get more players to play for us. We're not going to get parents to want to, you know, their kids playing for us, and then we're not going to make more money. But there's got to be a better way to do this. I mean, if the ultimate goal is it's a business and you want to make some money on it, I get that because I have a business that takes teams around the world. But at the same time, it, we're talking about development. Um, how do we balance those two? So I, I guess I'm hitting the young the coaches now. Let's talk about what we need to improve on, even myself, yourself, and everybody else that's in the game to make sure that game grows long-term. I think we need to improve the balance, particularly. Uh, first of all, I love college coaches, but I also know that the person who wants to win in the coach's family the most is the wife of the coach because she wants her kids in the same school district next year. As she loves her husband, but that's the reason. And and so the, the truth is there is pressure and there is that kind of thing. And they probably do do things better than their players will do them. But ultimately, I really believe that we got into this thing because we're in the kid development business, all of us. Now, it's easy for me to say because I get paid to develop kids. Right. But, um, and I've got to develop the whole kid because I do know that you play from the inside out. You don't play from the outside in. And we better coach that way as well. But, but having said that, there's a lot of pressure. And I, and I understand it. Understanding it, um, those kids are going to run our country someday. And we'd like them to be able to do better than we're doing right now whatever side of the aisles we're on, um, I would say that we'd all agree we're not doing the best job we can do. And so the, the bottom line for me is that the more we can teach them and the more we allow them to fail and do, we do three things for kids if we're coaches. We mentor, um, we coach, meaning encourage, and we instruct. And we're doing a way better job, as bad as the instruction is in some places, we're doing a way better job of instructing than we are coaching and mentoring. Now, the rules in college make it hard to mentor and coach because we, we don't have I could walk into Rod Dato's office anytime I wanted and he could tell me, you know, you're looking in a dugout like yesterday um, and with the bases loaded and one out and you know what to do. You don't need to look at me. And, uh, you know, it was my first five days as a freshman and I never did that again. Um, <laughs> then he won 11 national championships or something like that. I mean, it's. You know, it's pretty good when players are making all the decisions. But the, but the bottom line is we need to do more of that and, and give them more. And we have to find a way to get them there. And I think there are um, amazing college coaches who are doing that. And there's some amazing high school coaches who are doing that. But not enough of us are doing that enough. Mm. I think that's, that's what I have to say. And I'm, I don't mean to be arrogant about it. But uh, one area that... One area I'm starting to see changing in the game, which I'm not sure it's changing as much or it's because of the social media, it's more out there. But I hear this a lot. Well, nowadays, you don't tell players what to do. You know, when um, you don't tell them this is a drill you should do, you don't tell them this is how you do it. You kind of work it out with them and let them figure it out. Um, you know, I came from an area that, yeah, coaches would – tell me, but they would also ask how I felt and what I, you know, 
how I felt about the drill or how did, you know, how did my body feel doing that? I mean, they weren't always demanding and I'm getting the impression now it's, you know, times are changing. I don't know if times are changing for sure, but what's the better way of doing it? Is it a mixture of both, you know, showing kids how to do things, but also getting their feedback? I think it's important to have it. It's easier to coach them if we know them. Uh, I think it's that simple. Um, it's important to get feedback. It's it's not that we're looking for approval. We're looking for a thought process. I mean, those are Tommy House's two favorite words. <laughs> and Tom and I argued about throwing from the time we were in college, and, and I ended up doing some work with him um, later on uh, and love him like a brother. Um, and it's two of the best words in the world, thought process. And, and if we know the kids' thought processes, it's a whole lot easier to coach them and much more and simple to, can, to instruct them. Great point. But pretty, you know, and very simple, simplistic, easy to understand. I love that. Um, you know, the other part of this, and I think we've beaten a dead horse and we keep doing it on the show, but I think it's so important. And, you know, we have an advantage. I've been over 50 countries, so I, I think I have a pretty good perspective worldwide what's going on with the game. Um, and in, in the U.S., I'm seeing, you know, a shift a little bit in the last 10 years on the way we do things. And I want to ask your opinion on this. The shift is this. And in, especially in the Midwest, we didn't play enough games in the Midwest to compete with the Texas, the Arizonas and so forth. Um, but now the shift is we're playing a lot more games and we're practicing less. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I know guys and gals practice in the wintertime. I'm not sure how much of the December January, February transfers to June, July, and August when it comes to training, because I think training needs to continue throughout the year um, to keep your fundamentals. But I'm seeing a lot more games, less practices. But Pete, when I look around the world, the, and I conclude the U.S. is one of the best baseball countries in the world, obviously, but we also have 26 million amateur players. I've said this a thousand times on the show. But when I compare it to other countries that have a lot less players than we do, that practice twice as much as they play games, even though they play a lot of games because of weather. Um, where are you at on all this? We're the most injured country in the world in terms of baseball, period. We're injured because there's pressure on the kids. They think the kids grow up thinking they can throw hard for 12 months out of the year. And every major league pitcher knows that's nuts. Um, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. You can't go under fire, which means game time, they're keeping score, doing all that. You can't do that for 12 months a year and get anything but hurt mm. or, or burned out first. Uh, but, but we're getting hurt in droves and it's getting worse and worse. And we know more and more, which makes it ridiculous. Uh, so there's that. And here's where I'm going to come in and talk about parents real fast. They think that if you don't do it all the time and you're not seen all, all the time, that it's crazy and that it's all about visibility. And the truth is, um, NP are the two easiest letters to write in the whole world, not a prospect. And, uh, or no way Jose is a friend of mine <laughs> in Florida, uh, puts it so that when they look over his shoulder, the parents will think they did something good and send us something not so good, but most <laughs> visibility is negative because the game's hard. Yeah. And so it really comes down to let's get better. I mean, continuous improvement seems to be Kaizen is the Japanese word most popular in America. Let's get better today. And I think there's a lot to, there's not only a lot to it, it's a truth. And you can get better playing games in practice for two innings and get drill work. And you've got to get repetition and you're not going to be any good. And it's got to be good repetition. And if you're just playing games, you're making it up. That's why there's batting practice every day before the game. 
It's just to, to get you loose, get you back on the, on the ball and get your fundamentals in, in tune so you can go back out and play again. You got Randy Johnson today and you had Jamie Moyer yesterday. Well, they're both left-handed and that's all I had in common. Um, so it's, it's really still about you've, you've got to be able to recover and play. And if you can't practice, you can't do that. Hey, where do you fall in when it comes to, uh, you hear this a lot, brand new, you know, a lot of keywords on social media, you know, block training and, and uh, you know, um, random training. You know, you got the Japanese that block train, been successful for many years doing it. You got other people, you know, bal- uh, mixing it up and doing some random training. Where, where do you fall into this? Is there a combination of both? Is it um, well, you start with one end with another? What, what, where, you know, how does a coach understand how to use these two type of concepts? We don't. I've been trying to understand it for years and years and years. And I'm not an exercise scientist, but I, I know the people who are. One, I get them to those people. Two, you need balance. If you don't, if you don't have a balanced physiological system, you're going to get hurt or you're going to be limited beyond a shorter gene pool. Um, so a balanced re- regime for throwing and striking specific people, there are other things that you also have to do. Um, and what you're trying to build is function. We have to be function-based or we're doing everybody a disservice. Uh, and we're also causing injuries. Um, it's, it's a, that, and that's an epidemic too. Um, but in balance, and if you're going to do baseball-specific stuff, do throwing and striking specific stuff. Um, I'm, watching, I'm watching things that put people in positions where if I had to throw like that from shortstop, um, and you have to throw from everywhere at shortstop because you're going in the wrong direction half the time. And you're going to have to throw across your body, around it, behind your back, and all of that stuff. Um, and we're warming up, doing stuff you would never do in a baseball game. And in mm-hmm. fact, if you did it in a baseball game at full speed, you'd tear up everything. And and I watch, I'm watching, you know, drills from places that that are just mind-boggling. Well, and I get a lot of help seeing those because I get those get sent to me. And not to interrupt you, um, but give us some ideas on some of those things that they should not be doing that you're seeing out there that could is contrary to what the actual skill should be. Um, they need these muscles like a hole in the head in terms of developing mass. They don't need this to develop mass on the front end and go do all of these lifts and do nothing for the backside. They've got to take care of scaps because they stabilize the shoulders. They have to take care of hamstrings and everybody works on quads as part of their daily life. And nobody works on hamstrings unless you're doing it specifically. And so you have to do one and a half times anyway, as much work for the backside as you do for the front side, just to stay in balance. We always felt when I was a kid and we didn't, we weren't allowed to lift weights except our own. You work your butt off at doing pull-ups because they're great for triceps and they're great for scaps. And these are easy getting on this side's hard. So guess what? Nobody does it. And I'm not seeing a lot of people do it now, but we get imbalanced in virtually every kid I deal with. And the first thing we have to do is help them get balanced through either sending them someplace or doing what we can ourselves if they're close, but it's, it's train wreck. You know, what about, um, you mentioned functional skills, you know, athletic skills. Let's talk about, uh, those got to start early on, don't they? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't, concentrate on that at 16 years old and expect to develop athletic skills that late can you actually skills develop last i think we have that backwards in the country 
skill, we, let, me rephrase, let me rephrase that. I didn't mean skills as far as fundamental skills. I'm talking about athletic skills. Oh, um, we want them to be athletic because they get wired early. Where's that start? Tiger when? Woods broke, broke the wiring mode, which is, I think, why he had so many surgeries. I'm not an expert on Tiger, but that's all right. Um, but I know that to be true. Um, be an athlete. Do lots of things. Don't just don't specialize to start with. Do as much as you can, uh, as often as you can, and still have a balanced life. Uh, take care of that first. Strength is next because you can't develop real skill without strength. And then don't lift weights too soon. Shouldn't be lifting too soon other than your own body weight. And there are lots of ways to do that, to gain functional strength. Um, get, get wired, get a little stronger, and then um, making sure you're playing the game a lot. And you'll develop a signature if you play the game a lot and are not instructed. And the instruction happens too early other than basic fundamental. Here's how you hold a ball, not the 14 grips you can do to be Billy Lee in college. You know, <laughs> Billy came and I said, how many pitches you got? He said, 13. You know, when he finally got down to throw three for strikes, he made major league all-star teams, uh, but a great guy to be around and, and uh, still, and, and so there's, there's that. And then it's about, then you've got to get really good and really fine tuned at what you do so that you can be repeatable in big time competition. And, and that comes last. We tend to do that first before anybody can handle it. And then the strongest kid gets to play and the weakest kid doesn't. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Hey, when you're talking about the weights, you're also talking about, you know, you said not too early to start with weights, but we're talking about weighted balls also. I'm uh... I'm a contrarian with, with regard to weighted balls. It's not that I don't like them, and I, and I think they have a use. Uh, the use that was that had become popular at the young young adult level, which is you throw the really heavy stuff, stay away from the light stuff. I think is crazy. Um, I, I think that there's some value in holding them if it's done correctly, and there's some value in throwing light stuff. We used to swing light bats. And Ichi, I know Ichiro did this in the major leagues. He swung a light bat because you've got to train the nervous system too. And if mm -hmm. all you're doing is heavy stuff, what you're really doing is slowing down your nervous system. And that doesn't work, not in baseball. So I think there's a, there's a place for it, but it better be done in balance with a lot of other things. And you better know what you're doing physiologically. We've got people doing weighted ball programs uh, who wouldn't know weight from a donut. And, um, <laughs> and that's not good. And that's not good. And, and I again, know that's 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 me being pretty forthright about it, uh, but I feel really strongly about that. I do throwing rehab on too many kids who love weighted balls. Yeah, and I'm with you. And I know there's a lot of pressure. And again, when I go back to social media, a lot of pressure on you know parents and young kids. You know that you got to throw hard right away and all that. And a big concern I would think, Pete, is you know if I'm using a weighted ball program too early, if I'm not strong enough and I'm not fundamentally you know. Uh, in control of my body, I can get hurt right away. Couldn't I? Yeah. Well, if you can't swing it and hold it, then you shouldn't be throwing it. And in, in, if what happens with a football, which is twice the weight and plus a little of a baseball is strides shortened and that's okay. It's important to do that. And you throw a football, but if you're asking somebody to take a long stride with a heavy ball, you're putting more stress on joints than, than they want. And they'll tell you about it. And they tell you about it in some terrible ways. How, how do you balance? And here's the thing. How do you balance? Stick with the pitching part. Um, how do you balance the velocity and the control? 
because, you know, you see a lot of people, and including myself, I got some guys in Czech Republic throwing pretty good, you know, in, in the program in Spain. So I put them on social media just to let people, college coaches know about them, you know, and the kid, you know, one kid was throwing 96 legitimately on the radar gun. I was there. Um, and, you know, but maybe may not have that control yet. How do you balance it with your training? You know, are you working on both at the same time? Does one come first and the other? I want to, I want to play the game and I want to be alive to play the game when I get old enough to make money. Um, it's, I think that you take the kid where he is and you make that work and you work on gradual strengthening. The big advertisements now are eight miles an hour in six weeks. Well, great. I got a rehab patient down the road. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a good thing. It's, it's like uh, enormous weight gain is really bad for your heart. Enormous weight loss in a short time is very bad for your heart. Yes. I'm an expert on that stuff because I have the problem. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really about do what you do in moderation. I mean, it's the old golden rule. Just do what you do, do it in moderation. Um, make it work. Uh, the Russians are having trouble in Ukraine because they can't support anything because they don't move the supply line up. Well, we don't, if we don't move the underpinning up in the way we do conditioning and the way we do teaching, uh, then nobody's got anything to hang on to. And so we've got, we've got to do a better job of being where the kid is instead of getting him to where we want him to be just because we want him to be. We're way too arrogant about that stuff. So let's talk about that. Let's take a kid, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 years old. So what, we, what you're saying is take a look at that 10 year old. Um, fundamentally, how he's doing, is he throwing strikes? I'm talking about training. Um, and then what do you do? Do you, do you increase, do you help him increase velocity once he's got some control? I almost never talk about velocity with kids. Um, I want them to be intentional. Um, but at the same time, if we clean up timing, it's more the mechanics. If we clean up the, the, the major league pitching guys are all bored to death with this because they're all good at it, but it's really about cleaning up timing. And if you clean up timing, you get velocity. If you clean up timing, you get deception. If you clean up timing, you get finish on a fastball. If you fiddle a little bit to get a more efficient grip, getting your thumb under the ball instead of on the side, do that sort of stuff, especially with young guys, then what you get is you get more velocity. You shouldn't have to get more velocity out of shoulders and elbows, which were not designed to create it. They're only designed to transmit it. And, and that's, that's what we do badly. And we're doing it badly in some cases, even at the major league level. You know, and that kind of reminds me, it's kind of like if you want to be successful as a team, focus on your development. Don't focus on the winning part because the winning is going to come if you got to, you know, if you're working on the right things and you don't have to really stress winning because, you know, I mean, I don't know of any kids, young kids that go to a game and don't want to win. I mean, they're going to want to win competitively by themselves, but but if you stress the fundamental part, the hard work, the right work, uh, eventually you're going to have a pretty good ball club. Well, am I far off on that? No, you're right on the money on that. And, this, and, and hitting should come last because it's the hardest thing to do. Play catch. Teams that play catch win at the major league level. They win at the division one level. They win at the division three level. They win in junior college. They win in third grade. You, ultimately, you have to be able to get people out or you can't play. 
Ultimately, you have to be able to play the whole game or you can't play. And good pitching and good defense beat good hitting and most of the time. And if you can do that, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, you get paid more if you can hit, but hitting is not a let's do this every day and we, we can't play catch because you won't get on a field, not at the higher levels. You may play for your little league coach if he's your dad, but you're not gonna you're not gonna play. Pete, if you had a travel program, um, something that happens with travel programs, um, you know, we've got some good coaches in travel ball, but also we have some that are not well intended. And you know, the question is because money is an issue and you've got to keep up with your budget. And I understand all that. It's a profit making business. Um, but at the same time, you know, you need several teams. You need more than just three or four teams, maybe five or 10 at different ages. Well, coming with teams means you need coaching. Well, to get quality coaching at all 10 of your clubs is not going to be easy. Uh, maybe some recommendations. We're, if you were starting a travel team, what were some of the things you would focus on knowing that it's also a business because whether we like it or not, it's a business and it's not, yeah, not well, going to stop. In, I'm in business doing what I yeah, do. Um, I'd, I'd love to have 12 teams because we could help 12 times 15 more kids. Um, there's a problem. And that is that we have, the game has standards and we coach to those standards and we instruct to those standards and we mentor to those standards. We want every kid to go to the big leagues at something. And what he can learn from baseball or what she can learn from softball or baseball, what the kids can learn from that is how to be a major leaguer. And they can learn it and take it to nursing. They can take it to teaching. They can take it to engineering. They can take it to whatever they take it to because it's going to require resilience. It's going to require learning on the fly. It's going to require all the things that a baseball softball program can give you. If we do that stuff, we'll be in really good shape. And if we don't do that stuff, we're going to get what we get, which is a really limited ability to critically think. And so I think we've got to do a much better job of that and only coach, only have as many teams as you can ensure the coaching can live up to in terms of what you say the standard is. If you lie about your standard, whether it's intentional or not, if you lie about your standard, you are messing with a kid and the parents will eventually get you because they pick the lowest common denominator. Do they win uh, in terms of picking a team? But what parents really want is you to mentor their kids. And so they, they leave because you haven't reached the highest denominator, but they show up with a lower expectation because they don't get it yet. And we need to educate them while we're at it because they're a big problem with baseball, but they're a big problem in my, in my view. In, in part because we're not educating them and we're not talking to them. We're not putting up with them or we are putting up with them and we can't, we've got to be their partner that we're trying to help raise their kids. Ultimately, if we're not doing that in amateur ball, we're doing the wrong things. Yeah. And great points. The other part of this is now is the number of players you have on a team because that also determines income, but playing time is an issue because, you know, if you cover, if you carry 12 players on a team, you're going to get more playing time. You carry 15, you're going to get less. Some people are going to complain. What are the expectations there? I mean, don't we have to kind of have, have a meeting with the parents, with the coaches, with the players, discuss the expectations. Don't worry about how many players are on a team. Um, it's not only about just playing. There's a lot more to it. Talk about that because there's a balance there. And then the other part is if you have less players, Pete, let's say you have 12 or 11, and now two don't show up, now you got big problems, right? Because now you know, may not have enough pitching for the day. Where's the yeah. balance? 
I'm throwing the kitchen sink at you because I know, I know uh, you're to me, you're one of the brightest guys in the game of baseball. You get it. I know you made mistakes like we all have in the past, but you get this. I love that's, the why, league. <laughs> that's why I ask you. That's why I throw the kitchen sink at you. Yeah, I, I believe in having enough players. I, I'd like the number 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, depending on how many pitcher onlys we have. Um, I'm not a fan of pitcher only young, by the way. Older is fine when they've decided what they want to do. Uh, but I want people to have to sit on a bench. I want people to learn to keep score. I want people to learn to steal signs, preferably without cameras, but I'd like them to steal signs. Um, I'd like them to help each other. What are the patterns the pitcher's doing out there uh, and or the coach is calling? Everybody's got patterns. There's, it doesn't matter. You don't have to communicate it. You don't have to do that. What are they doing out there? How are they playing hitters? How do we need to play this hitter given how way he swings? What are the, what's the wind doing? All of that stuff and chase foul balls. And I mean, chase them, not wander after them and go get a Coke. Um, <laughs> well, they need to learn how to be teammates. And I mean, all of them. Our pitching staff will, will pitch within seven innings of each other over a full summer. Our, our players will play within nine innings of each other through the summer. I'm going to pick their spots. I'm going to get them all a chance to stretch, and I'm going to give them all a chance to dominate, and I'm going to give them all a chance to play under fire. I'm going to give them a chance to play in the 17 and nothing blowout, whichever side it is. I want the kids to have to play and I want them to have to grow. It's not little league. Like we're going to play two innings a game. It's strategic, but we're still going to play them. And it's my job to get our roster to the point where everybody can contribute to winning and know what he can do to contribute to winning. And that's a big deal. And I did it. It's not, it's complicated a little bit when you get started, but after a while, it's easy. And yeah, we should be doing that. that because we, we frankly are there and at, at the level below college, we're there to help kids understand communication, uh, anticipation, resilience, leadership, service, that kind of stuff. That's what we're supposed to do. And then they can go make money if they've got enough talent. And then their talent and somebody else with higher skill levels, or even if they're not higher skill levels, somebody else with a job of determining who's going to play sets a starting lineup. I don't have a problem with David Pierce setting a starting, not that he would care, but that setting a starting lineup and then living with it all year and giving people a chance to contribute to make sure that if somebody doesn't make it through the year and gets hurt or something, we've got a, he's got a backup. I don't expect that to happen, but at my level, it better happen. I picked the level on purpose and I need to honor it. Excellent. And, uh, you know, the other part I'm thinking about all this is the tournaments. Um, now, I want to go back because about I, I don't know, I, I, folks, I don't remember what year it was, but maybe five, seven years ago, you know, pitch counts started to come into play. Um, and, you know, one of the things I've always at least I've always said is that, hey, you know, if we're going to introduce pitch counts. We introduce it at the younger levels. Finally, you know, national programs like Little League began to institute some pitch counts. But I always thought pitch counts were a band-aid because of lack of education with our coaches sometimes if we don't educate our coaches properly and the high school level institute of pitch counts nationwide i get all that i think is a great example for everybody else but i think where we really needed them was at the younger levels unless we educate our coaches much better understanding how to deal with pitchers and get more kids to pitch but now what about in the tournaments don't 
a lot of these tournaments, don't you think we need pitch counts at tournaments? I know we have them internationally. What, what, what's your thought process on a lot of these tournaments? Um, tournaments are going in that direction in any case. Um, I think that they're great because it would be really nice to speed the games up. My feeling about select baseball at the, in the big organizations um, where you're guaranteed four or five games in a weekend and doing that kind of stuff uh, is that um, coaches slow the game down so that they don't have to pitch so many people. <laughs> and it's, I was told when I, when I got here by a couple of people on two coasts that it's just because we didn't have very much um, perfect game or five tool or that kind of stuff on the West coast and all that, that kind of stuff. And it's just, you, you'll love the athletes, Pete, and you, you're really going to struggle with the pace of play. Now it's sometimes it's like watching paint dry and right. that's, that's managing pitching mostly, or the kids just don't play very fast because the weather's hot. And that's crazy. in my view, that's my view. Um, I think that we need to learn to play a tempo. We teach tempo first. We want them to go at the speed of the game uh, that the game requires to play well. And that's generally up tempo in every sport up tempo beats down tempo. Um, and so I think that we, we tend to go too slow. That's not exactly a pitch count argument. Uh, but I think if we're going to play all season long, the pitch counts ought to be lower than they are. And then the pitch count standards ought to be lower than they are. If they're going to play for eight months. I mean, and at the big league level, you get paid to do that. Uh, the 11-year-olds aren't getting paid to do that. And when you're talking about travel ball, you know, if they're playing 70, 80 games in the summer, I mean, you need more pitching. You got to train more players to pitch. The more you have, the better. And you, and like you said, I think you need to understand how to handle your pitching staff, you know, possibly putting pitchers in certain situations where they can be a little bit more successful. They don't have to pitch two, three innings and all that. Yeah, when I was coaching in high school, um, we were pretty successful and we had three levels of team a big enough school to do that. Um, and well, we had a lot of kids come out. So we kept a bunch of them. We had 21 pitchers who pitched on a fairly regular basis, seven at each level, freshman and JV in the middle and, and varsity. And, and we pitched them and our job was to get them ready. And so we did that. So we never got stuck where we had to risk a pitcher's arm just to go win a ball game. Mm, great point. Hey, uh, you know, I was thinking this also, um, you know, in a lot of countries, I, I'll mention Japan, you know, Japan, you know, mm -hmm. especially in high school, but even at the younger levels, you're going to make a team. Okay. They just don't hand you a, a team or a spot or a position just because you paid some money. Um, nowadays we're giving rings out to 10 year olds when they win something, eventually they're going to want, you know, a car or they're going to want, you know, something else more expensive. If we keep giving them, you know, I mean, they're getting better rings than some of the high schools that when they win the championships, you know, may not even get a ring. But I guess if we're giving kids too much and they don't earn anything, I mean, where are we going with this? Because, and I hate to sound negative, but, you know, I just hate to see, you know, kids be given everything because sometimes that happened to me and, and it hurt me in the long run. I, I have a belief about that, but I also have a friend who went through it. He happened to have won uh, a Little League World Series final. And uh, for a long time, it was the highlight of his life. And while I get that, um, he really struggled with it and had some, some major struggles. He's a wonderful human and a great leader. 
but he had real struggles uh, early on in, in life because that was the biggest event in his life and it was all he was known for. Um, I just don't think that when you're a 12 year old that that whatever happens then should be the highlight of your life. I, I think we ought to structure it so it can't be. Uh, I think that the highlight of your life should be the friends you made and the fun you had with the teams you played on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the other part of this was uh, reading some things on Norway, uh, the country of Norway. Um, you know, one of the things that they stress in their sports, and they've been pretty successful at it, you know, up to about the age of 12, I believe. You know, they really don't stress um, competition or winning. But there's a balance there, too, isn't there? Sooner or later, you've got to be able to compete. Um, you got to be able to make a club. Um, where's that balance with that? I think it's different for everybody, but if you create burnout, you don't get much balance and burnout's pretty easy to spot. The harder you work, the worse you get. And the moment that happens, you got to get away from it. The only cure for burnout, burnout is to get away from it. So really to get away from the sport. And the only cure for that is to not allow burnout to happen by having other interests. It's not healthy to, to be interested in one thing. I get going to hit every day and every night trying to make the, the lineup, the roster, the whatever it is at the University of Southern California in the 60s. I mean, I understand the value of that. Uh, I also had a job and so did almost everybody on the team. We were all broke. If we weren't broke, our parents made sure we didn't have money to go get trouble with. And if we were broke, then we were broke and we were all going to a place that was um, known for its intent to win. And obviously we did. Uh, but it was, um, it's important to do more than one thing. It just is. You know, and I get the burnout part because, you know, I go to a gym every day and sooner or later I got to change up the routine. You know, it gets old. I mean, I don't get too excited about it. I get all that. Now, let me ask you, um, we're getting close to the end here, but and at the end, I want to make sure that something we didn't cover that's critical in the development of the game that we need to mention to the folks in the U.S. and around the world to help because it's all about education. Um, you know, one of the areas um, when we're talking about burnout, you hear this a lot. You hear, uh, you know, kids at the age, oh, about 12, 13 years old, you know, especially in the U.S., you know, they start quitting the game. I want to give some credit to USA Baseball, Major League Baseball. They've done a much better job of having some fun participation stuff for kids to get them involved in everything. And when we're talking about long term, you hear, well, you know, kids turn to other things. And that's why they drop out of baseball. You know, they might turn to video games, computers. They might turn to another sport. I don't know, something a lot more fun um, and quit the game of baseball. But, you know, the way I see it, if we do our job as coaches, as parents, and we really educate the kids and really help them in, in, in the development, I think, you know, if you're enjoying something, you're going to stay in it. You're not going to quit if you're enjoying it. Uh, there's reasons why they quit at a certain age. What do you think those reasons are? I, I think one of them is that, uh, and I'll give you one, you know, if, if I'm not, if I don't like baseball anymore, I'm going to quit. You know, I found something else better, but there's a reason these kids are quitting. What do you think some of those reasons are? Uh, there are two, too much of it. That's one. Um, I work with an Olympic athlete um, who quit in the middle of, of early childhood, middle childhood, high school development, uh, who quit for a while and, and got back in it because nobody griped about it. They let him and he played basketball. He went to basketball instead of bad stuff uh, and did really well. And he's in the Olympic program you know, for the United States. Uh, but the other reason is the ride home. Bruce Brown got it exactly right. Um, 
the, the ride home um, and the second guessing of your performance after a ball game. When it's over, we're ready for pizza if we're a kid and somebody in the family wants to go over what happens. So our deal is, and what we say to our, frankly, the parents of the kids on in our program, whether they're on our team or just in, in well, most of them are just in the academy, uh, whether they're in our academy, is mom, mom drives the car home, not dad. Mom drives the car, car home, dad walks or takes whatever other transportation he wants. Uh, but the, after the game stuff should belong to the kid. But that's the number one reason that kids say they leave. Wow. Parents. And as coaches, we should be talking to parents. There would be far fewer parent problems. And I've been blessed. We haven't had a lot. Um, uh, we've had really supportive parents for the thousand years I've been doing this. Um, if we talk to them and include them as teammates, they become teammates. And if we don't, they become adversaries and they're going to win that one. And if they win, everybody loses. You know what? It's almost like we scripted this, but folks, we haven't scripted anything. We never do. Um, we just like to have a conversation and uh, I'll tell you what, I, I think you hit on a great point, Pete, because I'll give you an example on our international trips. Our parents are involved in everything. Um, they know everything we're doing. They're in every meeting. Uh, I don't hide anything. You know, I want them to know everything that we're doing, why we're doing it and all that. When we're talking to the players, we're talking to the parents also. I think it's all, that's why I like what you say about that three-pronged system. It's coaches, players, and parents. We're all in this together. And if you think you're going to keep the parents out of it, um, you got something else coming because that's their kid and you're better off getting them involved and interested in their kid's development. And it makes it a lot more fun to coach, frankly. Absolutely. I agree with you. Hey, uh, where do we, you know, we talk, you know, folks, I hope you didn't get the wrong impression here. You know, we, we want to try to be positive, but at the same time, we're trying to, you know, be constructive, you know, be, be positive about the constructive criticism to make sure that coaches understand at the young levels how important their value is. I mean, they're the ones ultimately have the responsibility of keeping these kids and educating them, helping them in the development. And when you help them in their development, they become successful and they become individually successful. They now enjoy the game more. Um, and so we have a big responsibility. That's why we, you know, with Pete, we wanted to talk about all this. There's some positives, there's some negatives. That's okay. Cause that's how you learn. Pete, where did we miss, uh, you know, there's so much we talked about. What do we miss that we need that maybe we need to address before we finish up? I think we beat most of it to death. Um, the, <laughs> the one thing is that we get most coaches get into the coaching business. And I know we're talking to a lot of coaches, but parents as well. Most coaches get in the coaching business because uh, they want to help. Uh, I think parents should remember that. I think coaches, we coaches should remember it and that there, there are a lot of ways to get wealthy. Coaching doesn't necessarily have to be one of them just because they're a bunch of guys in the NFL and, and some in major league baseball and some in the NBA who uh, make a incredibly good living at it. Uh, doesn't mean that's the reason they do it either. They just got really good at it. And I think if we get really good at it, there'll be lots of rewards for us. It's be my coaching folks, March 4th, 5th, and 6th, check it out. BC Minor Baseball, Vancouver, Canada, Virtual Coaches Convention. All I got to do is Google it and uh, bcminorbaseball.com or .org. I can't remember which one. I apologize. But with Google nowadays, Google does everything. Hit Google, tell you anything you want, right? Um, not sure it's always right, but at least it gives you some uh, some perspective and some ways to, to you know understand what you're trying to accomplish. But go to it, BC Minor Baseball. 
um, in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, we got 20 speakers starting Friday, March 4th, um, all the way to Sunday, virtual convention. You got Reggie Smith, former Dodger. You got Pat Bailey, OSU coach. You got Paul Maneri, LSU. I mean, you got Jerry Weinstein. You got Jeff Crochelle. I mean, you just go down the list. There's 20 of them. Check it out. It's outstanding. Join. You're going to learn a lot from the convention, I guarantee you. Hey, Pete, this has been fantastic, man. As always, um, this is your second time on the show, and I could probably have you every day because you're one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to the development of the game, man. Thank you. Well, thank you, and it's always fun to be with you, Pete. All right, that's Pete Wilkinson with Wilkinson Sports and Life Performance, a great friend. Again, I said it, I'll say it again, one of the best in the business, one of the most knowledgeable. If you got any, we'll have all this uh, information on the show notes. So thanks for people joining the show. Thank you, Brian Crocker, producer with the Lineup Media Group. Thank you, everybody in the U.S. and around the world for joining us. Don't forget, prayers for Ukraine. Um, let's hope this thing gets done fast because too many people are suffering. And we're talking about people suffering in Ukraine. But also there's people suffering in Russia because a lot of, if you don't know this, a lot of Russian people have family in Ukraine. Um, so there's people... Uh, and then you've got people in the U.S., you've got people all over the world that are that have family in Ukraine. So pray for everybody. Let's make sure this is taken care of and, and, and it's settled very soon here. We need it. Uh, God bless everybody. And don't forget, Caliendo Sports heading to Italy, Aruba, with uh, 14 to 17-year-olds, softball and baseball. Email me, caliendo19 at gmail.com. Folks, thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you on next show. God bless everybody, and see you later. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of LineUpMedia.fm.